Hello, 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 everybody. I am Patrick Green, and I would like to welcome you guys to the first, well, actually, it's technically the fourth Red Sox Unfiltered podcast, but we got an exciting new addition to the podcast. I now have a co-host. I'm not just talking by myself now. It's going to add a whole new fun dimension to the site uh, and to this podcast. Uh, Dave Latham, who writes for Red Sox Unfiltered, is joining me here from, from Maine, right? From Maine, yep, just uh, about 30 minutes north of the Sea Dogs. Oh, okay, close to Portland, get to see some of that uh, young, fun farm system there. Is, is it cold where you are right now? Oh, freezing, it's like thirty. It's like mid-30s today, so I, I spent all of it inside watching the Red Sox freeze to death. <laughs> see, like, I feel, I honestly kind of feel bad because I'm getting, like, nice 80-degree weather in Charlotte, and it's been like that for, like, two, three weeks, so, like, I don't know, like, I feel like I have to apologize to you, um, so I'm sorry. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, you've got a tornado coming, so we'll call it a while. Yeah, there's a tornado that could strike at any second, so, yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag, but, um, well, we're here to talk about the Red Sox, not about the weather patterns across the eastern United States, but I think people are interested in that too. But we're going to be talking about the 13-2 Boston Red Sox, and Dave, 160-2, are we coming for it? How can we not be? I mean, it would be an upset, it would be disheartening, it would be just cancel the season if they lose another game, because frankly, this is the best team in the history of baseball, and it's not even close. Oh yeah, like I, I feel like it. There's no other scenario where we don't win the World Series, and we just don't. If if we lose a game, I, I don't know what I would do. It would just like throw my throw off my conceptual framework completely. It would just be it would be devastating, honestly. Yeah, probably just have to watch the Celtics or the Bruins or something. Just give up on the team, fire Cora, you know. Exactly. Yeah, trade Mookie Betts away, trade Chris Sale. I mean, it would yeah. be a fire just sale. Go full rebuild. Yeah, full, full rebuild. rebuild. We'll do Marlins s style. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, that's always fun. Maybe get like Derek <laughs> Jeter to own the Red Sox. I think I think he's always looking for a new enterprise or something. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, so we're actually going to be talking baseball with you guys. So first of all, we're going to have a couple of topics that we're going to go over. We're going to be talking about Jackie Bradley Jr. and if he should be traded. What what are our views of him? So that's something to look forward to on this podcast. Also, we're going to talk about the rotation with. Pomeranz coming back, Rodriguez back. What do what what is the Red Sox rotation actually going to look like going forward, and what are the solutions we can do with guys like Hector Velasquez and Brian Johnson? Also, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the bullpen needs of the Red Sox. Do they need to upgrade in, in that uh, area of the team? Also, we're going to be talking about Zui Lin, Brock Holt, and Blake Swihart. So we've got an amazing, exciting episode for you guys, and I, I'm pumped up, Dave. Are you pumped up? Oh, I'm hyped. Okay, so without further ado, let's begin. And we're starting, Dave, with Jackie Bradley Jr. Should this man be traded? Because there have been articles and tweets, and they're calling for his head. They're saying he's not a good performer, he cannot hit the ball, and we should just ship him off for a reliever. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, we have to really get a high-end reliever, like top 10 stuff because he's a guy I don't think you're a trade. You do not want to trade him again unless you got something stupid good for him. I mean, he's in a really big cold streak right now, but that's kind of just as a hitter who he is. He goes through incredible lows and incredible highs, and eventually you're going to hit the incredible high. And this offense is so good, and he's so great defensively that if he's hitting 150, his glove justifies a spot on this roster. Oh yeah, I 
a thousand percent agree with everything you just said. I mean, his inconsistency uh, has been maddening from an offensive perspective, but his defense is so solid, so consistent. Like, I mean, he's so flashy. Like, you you go out there, and I'm excited when a ball's hit that looks uncatchable. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to track this down. So he's fun to watch. He's also a good base runner, and a lot of people, I feel like, ignore that aspect of a player's uh, game. But he was a 2.2 F4 player last year, which ranked like 47th of 107 outfielders among 350 plate appearances over the past two years so he he's he's underrated honestly in my opinion uh andrew benintendi who's 43rd on that list he only is like 0.1 f4 higher than him and no one's gonna try to trade andrew benintendi but yeah i get it jackie bradley jr is inconsistent with the stick but right now he's running like a 60 wrc plus he's got a really low average he's not getting it done offensively but i will have to say this it's only been 15 games 15 of yeah, 100, yeah. 15. yeah all, everyone knows that there's going to be that random two-week to month-long period where he's hitting 500 and hitting a home run every four at-bats. That's just part of the Jackie Bradley circle of life. It's going <laughs> to happen, accept it, and just like at, after a month, he's going to go back to hitting 100 for a few weeks, and he'll probably average it out to be roughly a 250, 270 hitter, somewhere in there, decent amount of power like he's always been. Yeah, no, I... That I agree with that as well. I mean, he he definitely has like again he has his spurts of inconsistency, but like every player has spurts of inconsistency. You're gonna see Mookie Betts have like a three four game stretch where he goes one for twelve. You're gonna see David Ortiz had really bad stretches. It's just it, it's inevitable with every player, and Jackie Bradley Jr. is no different. I mean, trust me, he's not like yeah. he's not the. Especially with Jackie, it's especially with Jackie. I will say it's more so than with a lot of people, but. I still think he's a solid player, and he's running a very low ba- uh, batting average on balls in play right now. It's like two forty-two before yeah. uh, today's game. You actually wrote a yeah. You actually wrote a really good article about like really breaking down how you can't judge a sample for Jackie in this short of a game time, and what you can judge. It's been a lot of bad luck. So really, he should be his numbers should be better than they are just based on pure bad luck going against him. And you know, like I said, even. This offense is scoring runs left and right. Look at this last week. You don't need a big bat right now. You need a glove like Jackie. You do. And frankly, unless you can get something really, really good for him, which you probably can't, just keep him on the team. Yeah. You know what I actually have been, I have found very fascinating um, over the past, because Mookie Betts got hurt yesterday to be removed mid-game. He should be fine. It was just a contusion, but they actually moved Jackie Bradley to right field, and they did not keep him in center field. They put Ben Attendee in center field. Was that at all, uh, did that strike you as odd, or what are your thoughts on that? Um, strikes me as a little odd, because, you know, Jackie's a better defender than Benny is, and typically you want the best defender in center. But, you know, at the same point, you know, they can all field really good, the starting three, oh, yeah. Mookie, Benny, and Jackie. They'd all be, you know, very good defensive center fielders. So having the right field that Fenway does where you really need to have a cannon, some parts that's not as big of an issue, but I can see moving Jackie over there and, you know, whatever happens, keep JD in left. He's far and away the worst defensive outfielder we have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you see that relay throw today in left field? Completely missed it. Oh, yeah, that was first run. That, was oh. first in in there. <laughs> <laughs> that was ugly. But, yeah, I, I honestly think I saw something earlier that center field opportunities, like balls hit to center field, were like, of any position it has had, like, gotten the... They have like gotten less opportunities as the years have progressed, and I think it's losing its value as a position. And I think the Red Sox know that because I honestly think I know Bradley's an amazing defender, but I also think Betts is a better defender. I think that's why they keep him in right field. 
and now it bets out, I think more balls are getting hit to right field than they are center field. Don't quote me on that. I'll have to do some homework, but that's just a hunch I have, and it's a hunch I will test out. But mm-hmm. yeah, stay I tuned believe, to that. I believe that. Yeah. I think, like, I mean, you typically have your best center fielder and uh, your best outfielder in center field. Like, that's the conventional wisdom, but I think the Red Sox are thinking of it differently. I think they might have a, a niche or, like, a they have, like, this these this data that backs up to saying, hey, right field is getting more balls. Why not put our best defender there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like... Benny is a step down from Jackie defensively, but it's not like he's a liability out there. He's still an above-average defensive outfielder jack is just otherworldly you know so it's not like you have a weakness it's not like you have a glaring emptiness in center field with jackie over and right no yeah i i completely agree with everything you just said so it's going to be interesting hopefully bets comes back soon especially but i think we both agree that unless you can get like a lot back for bradley jr that we should hold on to him for the foreseeable future mm-hmm. so and for what it's worth with uh mookie I believe, uh, of course, said before the game that if they needed him to, he could have played today, which means come tomorrow, which is probably getting rained out, or come Tuesday, he's almost certainly back in the lineup. Yes, definitely. Definitely, definitely, so, definitely. thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, thank God for that. Like, I, 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 was, I was panicking a little bit when it first happened. Oh, that was an ugly play to play. Yeah, that was, that an, was ugly an ugly collision. play to play. I was thinking, uh, yeah. We are very fortunate human beings that Mookie Betts should be okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then Mookie's Hanley. Okay, Xander's coming back soon. It's good. Hanley survived the wrist thing. Yeah, it's going to be a potent lineup all year long. Okay, so now that we've mm-hmm. discussed Jackie Bradley Jr. in quite ad nauseum, we're going to pivot here and we're going to go to the bullpen. So the Red Sox are thirteen and two. Arguably, they played like the best team in baseball, but it seems like the one watermark over this team is the bullpen struggles. Outside of Craig Kimbrell, of course, but. Dave, I think a lot of people are, a lot of pundits, a lot of the masses are saying, hey, the Red Sox should upgrade the bullpen and they should go for somebody. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that, um, I think they are going to be getting a lot of help back just internally on its own. You know, we still have Thornburg who will come back to life at some point, but even, let's say, let's just assume he doesn't come back yeah. to like August or September or something like, which seems to me like the worst case scenario we should be getting pretty decent reinforcements just because our starters are coming back, which means, you know, unless we send everyone to Pawtucket, chances are those starters that have been performing great, like Velasquez Johnson and Wright probably too, they're going to end up in the bullpen, so that should help things out pretty naturally. Yeah. I, and I, as for trades, I'm not really sure, like, who's available on the market right now because maybe towards the trade deadline do something, but this early in the season, like, Outside of the Marlins, the Rays, or how many teams have already accepted this is in our year, you know? Yeah. There's probably not too much available right now. That's a great point, and especially, like, when you get towards, like, the trade deadline, I feel like the value, inc- like, you can, as if you're selling a reliever, you can get more value out of that when you get closer to the trade deadline, just because, you know, it puts the pressure on teams to compete for that. Um I think Rasio Iglesias would be an interesting guy out of the uh, Cincinnati Reds closer, but he's very valuable, and he will cost a lot. He'll cost you probably Jackie Bradley Jr. and some. Um, same for Brad Hand out of San Diego. I think these are two teams who are kind of conceding that it's not their year. And even Alex Colome, I think those are some interesting options. But, yeah, as you mentioned, I, I 
really like the point you brought up about how some of these starters are going to go to the bullpen, so it's not as big as an issue as people thought. Um, we, I think we've seen Brian Johnson. He's been in the bullpen role, and he's his stuff's playing up. I think he actually had like a 92-mile-per-hour fastball, and like I, I, I don't think if, if you told me that Brian Johnson was going to throw a pitch 92 miles per hour like a year ago, I would say there's no way, but he's doing it. Like His velocity is increasing. I'm proud of him. Like I, I really do like Brian Johnson. He's got excellent command for the most part, and he, he, he seems like he's really figured it out. And Hector Velasquez, yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to option him to Paul Tuckett and have him as their spot starter, but he's an interesting guy to go to the bullpen as well. And then, yeah, Stephen Wright, too. So we're getting people back. There's going to be moves. I think I could, out of the three, I think I could see Velasquez going to AAA, but I, I, I definitely see Johnson and Wright definitely going to be in that bullpen. Oh, yeah, definitely those guys. And, you know, the obvious choice for a while is just, well, you know, Johnson and Wright don't have options. Velasquez does ship him down. But, man, he has pitched so great. And the bullpen's had such struggles. Do you really want to put a guy that good not on the roster? Like, he's kind of forcing his hand there, which means we'd have to DFA somebody in the current bullpen. And that's going to be a tough decision when we get closer to happening, when that gets closer to happening. Yeah, so if you're Alex Cora in the Red Sox organization and you, you, you your arm's twisted and you, you want Hector Velasquez in your bullpen, who are you DFAing at that point? Okay, well, Walden obviously goes down when Palmer yeah. ends and uh, the rest comes no back. No brainer. That's, that's, pretty, that's an obvious tell. I think point, Pointer still has options, but I think he's pitched so well, and this is assuming the hamstring's not a big issue, mm-hmm. he's pitched so well early on and the bullpen's been such a liability, I think he's earned his spot on the roster. I, I don't see him being shipped down. Uh, for me, the odd man I would probably be Heath Hembry. I know he had a great game today, but overall, I feel like he's the one that would have the best chance of making it through waivers, getting down to AAA and keeping him around. And even if we lost him, I mean, no harm, no foul, honestly. He's not anything special. He's nothing you can't find on the streets anyway. Yeah, I think Heath Hembree would be my choice too. I mean, outside of Marcus Walden, of course. Um, but yeah, when, yeah. when he comes, but Walden, you can get down easily. Yeah, no, the no only options. That, like he has options, and even if like he's on waivers, I don't think anyone's going to pick him up. I don't. I don't think you're. And even if he does get picked up, I don't think you're really concerned about that at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yes, now that we've discussed the bullpen and uh, we're going to move to the other facet of the pitching and we're going go to go we're just going to go right to the rotation. You like these transitions? How, how, are the, how are they working for you? Oh, this rotation's awesome. Going into the season, I think we all knew that the strength of this team was going to be the starting pitching just as you have sale, you have price. And then behind them, you've got three guys with a really good upside in Rodriguez, Porcello, and... Pomerantz, but like, holy crap, these guys are blowing my mind with what they're doing. Yeah, I don't think anyone expected them to be this good. I think we were like, wow, we've got a good rotation, but like, did I expect arguably the best rotation in baseball right now? No, but that's what we have. Priscello, yeah. Priscello is the real. You wrote an interesting article about Priscello too, seeing if he's the real deal uh, earlier this week on Red Sox Unfiltered dot com, and and I, I think we both agreed that we're really impressed with Porcello right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I did get a little bit of flag from a few people saying, you know, well, it's three starts. Can you really make this argument already? And I'll concede, you know, maybe it was one or two starts too early to write that paper, but. If you uh, look at all the advanced metrics behind it, like all the stuff Porcello's doing right now are eerily similar to what made him the Cy Young candidate in 16. Yes. And three starts is a small sample size, but it's enough where the data's not exactly insignificant. Um, and if he can keep up this form, right there, Price, 
uh, Salem Porcello, there are three legit aces. And you've got Eddie and Palm who could serve as a number two on most teams. So there's no weak spot in this rotation right now. Yeah, and I think if you're looking at the right numbers uh, this early on, you can actually gain something from looking at uh, these. I know it's small sample size, but there are things you can look at and be like, okay, maybe this is sustainable. And I, and I do think that there are a lot of encouraging signs like in his underlying peripherals that suggest that Porcello is going to be close to the guy that he was in 2016. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was 2017. His first inning struggles have not been as big of an issue. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro Rick Porcello right now. I'm excited for him, and Eduardo Rodriguez had a great game uh, the other day, and I think his, what was his K, K, K to walk was like 8 to 2. Um, he's, he's got a, I think so, yeah. Yeah, his K per 9 is like 14, it's like 12, I don't know, it's like tw- in the 12 to 14 range, it's, it's ridiculous, like he's doing what Chris Sale did uh, early, all the, in the entirety of 2017, like granted it's two starts, but I'm still pretty pumped about it, mm-hmm. I feel like I deserve yeah, that. Yeah, I've been right. Yeah, I've been riding the E-Rod train ever since 2015, and I am so ready for that to finally pay off. Yeah, like, I fell in love with him ever since his first start. I believe it was against either the Angels or the or the Rangers. I know Josh Hamilton was in the game. I forget which team he was on at the time. He went eight innings, only gave up one run, and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's something special. So I'm glad that so far it looks like he's realizing his potential this year. Yeah, and I think he's so incredibly talented, too. I think he's got, like, more talent than a lot of the guys on the rotation outside of Chris Sale and David Price but he you we know like this guy I, I feel like Pedro Martinez has even said like Eduardo Rodriguez reminds me of me Did, am I correct with that or is that did I just pulled that out of the I air? believe I believe so yeah I didn't quote my sources but I think I read that a couple years ago um yeah don't don't hold me to it but it feels like something that happened so yeah, yeah. and one thing that, like, a lot of people are saying, well, we've seen this before with D-Rod. He gets really good. He gets really bad. He gets hurt. And he's been up so long that people are starting to think that's a trend. But I think a lot of people overlook the kid's 24. He made it to the majors really early, and he still has a lot of time to develop into who he's going to be, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, he's got a lot. I, I, I didn't even, I didn't know he was 24, honestly. I thought he was, like, 26, 27. So, like, that that was news to me. Like, I, you forget how young he is, and it's 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 incredible, like, how much potential he has inside of him because he's got amazing stuff. So I think we've got a mm. great rotation, and I think it's a lot deeper than I thought. I think Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez are quickly proving that they are valuable spot starters and that they probably would be, like, back-end rotation pieces for most other teams. So, yeah, it's, it's looking good in the pitching front for the Red Sox, especially the starting part, the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that we've t- discussed the rotation and the bullpen, let's uh, let's shift this to Zoe Len, Brock Holt, and Blake Swihart. That is our next topic, and we're going to be talking about the Red Sox depth, basically the, their bench, their bench pieces, and what what do we think is going to happen when. Um, when Bogarts comes back, do you send Wee Lin back down, or do you think about DFAing Brock Holt or DFAing Blank Swihart? Like Wee Lin is doing some impressive things early on. Um, he's been very versatile. I think he had a three-hit game today. Uh, there's a lot to like with him. But uh, Dave, if if you're the Red Sox, what what are you going to do when Bogarts comes back? When Bogey comes back, like. This hurts me to say, because I've been a fan of the guy since I first saw him. He was the only fun part of the 2014 Red Sox, but I think Holt's time has come. I'm, I'm sending him out. Yeah, I think I think they should have gone Marrero, and I think you agreed with me with that assessment. Um, 
in the yeah, early going. Yeah, the first story I actually wrote for Red Sox Unfiltered was about Holt versus Marrero, and I said they should stick with Marrero. So naturally, two days later, they traded they traded him away. <laughs> they listened to you, Dave. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think Brock Holt should definitely be the guy to get the axe. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think he was our only all-star in the 2015 season. Um, he definitely has had his moments of like flat flashes of being a very versatile valuable player but unfortunately if if you're going like the last time he was like semi uh valuable was 2015 so if you're gonna cling on to the fact that he's a good clubhouse guy and he was good in 2015 like i don't, I don't think you can make a viable argument that he should stay on this team especially when we lynn not only looks like the better hitter but he looks like the better defender too and he, he also can play center field which i don't think brock holt can so um yeah I'm definitely putting Brock Holt down on the wires. Oh, no, he's got options, doesn't he? He does, He yeah. does have options. So you can send him down pretty easily. Yeah, I don't know how he would respond to that, but, yeah, you can definitely put him um, in AAA, uh, and he won't be, there's no risk of him uh, getting claimed by another team. I forget, because Brock Holt's been on the Red Sox so long, sometimes I'm just like, there's no way he's got options. And then I realized, oh, wait, yes, he does. But, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't think he would when, like, Marrero didn't, and that was part of the argument I made for keeping him up, because I, I was saying, well, if you keep Marrero, you can keep Holt, too, but if you keep Holt, you can't really keep Marrero. Yeah, no, definitely, and it's, like, I, I, I think uh, I think Brock Holt definitely should be the guy to go here. Um, I think, yeah, he's got the options, which makes it even more more, more practical, And you just as you just pointed out. Um, so now let's, let's talk about Blake Swihart, who... Uh, Got the last spot on the bench. Um, people are pretty excited about him. He had an amazing spring. He's been a highly touted prospect before, but he really has not put it together at this point. Um, or, well, not he hasn't really had a chance to put it together. Basically, um, he's not getting a lot of at bats. He's, I think, what has he played? Three games? Is that is that like sound around the ballpark of? Yeah, I'd say like three to five somewhere in there. Yeah. he came in. Uh, two days ago when Mookie got hurt. But yeah. Aside from that, it's just been like late-inning replacements yeah. in blowouts. So is there a way to get Blake Swihart more at-bats? Because I think Alex Cora came out the other day and he even said like he's struggling to find Blake Swihart at-bats. Like, What is your solution to this? Should he get more at-bats? And if so, like, how would you do it? Yeah, I definitely think Swihart deserves a shot at more at-bats, but the problem is going to be finding a place to put him. In 2015, he was the primary catcher just because everyone felt everyone was falling down by the wayside that year, catching-wise. And defensively, I don't believe in his long-term potential there, but offensively, he definitely has a home in the major leagues. His problem is just everything they've taught him to do there is like a solid three or four guys ahead of him. The only spot where I could see him like being able to make an impact would be if he could learn second base or shortstop, be a middle infield guy, just because Pedroia and Nunez cannot be counted on to stay healthy all year. I think that's Swihart's best chance for at-bats, and he could definitely do some damage if given the chance to be a regular. Yeah, especially Red Sox don't have great infield depth. I think that's like why we were talking about Holt and Marrero because I mean they're both like mm-hmm. obviously have like their Achilles heels. They're not like all around good 
bench uh, de- infield depth pieces. But if Swyart uh, can play second or short and he, like he gets more bats and he can actually hold his own defensively, I don't know how he would transition. I think that would be very interesting to see how he does as a middle infielder. I know he's played a little bit of second base, but yeah, I think that's like the way you get him at bats because um, as you said, Bedroya and Nunez like. They are obviously not very reliable. They get hurt very frequently, but um, I think that would be the way to go. Um, I'm also a little curious about the catching situation, honestly, right now. Uh, Christian Vasquez is not swinging a hot bat. He's got like a he had a 348 Babbitt last year, and that kind of like uh, inflated his offensive production. So I don't know how much uh, people are going to trust that going forward. And I don't think Sandy Leone has the offensive acumen to stay there as to be our everyday regular. So um, maybe Blake Swihart gets more opportunities at catcher. Although, like you, I am ex- I'm I'm gravely concerned with the defense of Blake Swihart at that position. So it's going to be interesting. Like it, it's definitely a I think it's hard to get this guy at bats, especially when you got such a good team, like a good starting nine. Um, right now, since they are dealing with the injuries uh, up the middle, that they could feasibly have Swihart play second base. But I think Cora is a little. Uh, well, not afraid, but he's a little concerned about doing that right now. I mean, I'm putting ger- words into the guy's mouth, but uh, it, it just hasn't happened yet. Like, there's opportunities to play Swihart up the middle, and it, it has not presented it, so, like, it has not gone through. So I don't, I don't know how you get him more at-bats. I think there was an interesting situation the other day. Um, it was a pinch-hit opportunity in, like, the bottom of the night. To get, uh, it was the Yankees game, I think, and they were creating a little bit of a rally off of Roldis Chapman, and they had gotten the first two runners on base, second and third, Jackie Bradley Jr., Christian Vasquez, no outs, and Brock Holtz at the plate. So naturally, you're like, oh, let's go right, to the bench. Right. And Andrew Benintendi was on an off day. He obviously would be the candidate to uh, go there, but apparently they wanted to rest him. So they instead decided to pinch hit Sandy Leone instead of Blake Swihart, instead of Wee Lin, uh, instead of even Brock Holt, who was up there. Like, did you did you see that move happen? Uh, did, were you watching that game live? Um, I was watching that game live, and I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, why is Sandy in there? Because, like, I mean, his he had that like random. Where did that come from? three months of greatness in 2016, but everything else in his career has told you he's not a major league hitter. And a similar thing happened. I want to say it was the first series against the Rays or like one or against the Marlins where um, it was the bottom of the eighth. I believe we had the bases loaded and Sandy's in there and you're carrying three catchers. And I'm just thinking to myself, well, what's Sandy doing up here? Vasquez is a better bat and Swihart's the best of all of them. Yeah. If you trust Swihart to play even adequate defense, like you should, you should pinch hit for him there. So yeah, I was, I was like, I sent out some mean tweets on the Red Sox and filtered Twitter account. I was very like, what the heck is happening? I, I was super confused and like honestly, I have not gotten good sleep uh, since then. But I'm working on it. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, in the future, we'll see Swihart in there because I think it's it it, it is like you cannot make a feasible argument that Sandy Leone is a better bat than Blake Swihart. Yeah, there's no way you could ever justify that. No, I don't. Even I do think Swihart. I think Cora has acknowledged the fact Swihart needs to get out there more, needs to find a way out there because, like, like we've talked about, he hasn't had much playing time. But when he has, he's done pretty well with it. The day he came in and replaced Mookie, I want to say he had two hits, and you know that's pretty encouraging. That's encouraging stuff. 
Yeah, I think the bat the bat there is definitely the the, the real deal, and I think that's what his marketable skill is. Uh, it's just finding a place to put him, uh, really. Um, so that that'll be interesting to see going forward. But I think um, I think they're going to have to find a way to get him at bats, and if not, uh, I don't know. Would you even consider like put dangling him on the free uh, the trade market and try to net a reliever? Is that practical? Is that going to be a thing? I mean, again, it would all come down to what you could get. I think Swihart's stock is in a place where people on other teams would say, yeah, I'd be willing to par with a decent reliever. Like, you're not going to get the second coming of Mariano Rivera for him, but I think you could get a somewhat decent late-inning arm because other teams will be seeing what he did in 2015, what he did in spring training, and what he's done so far in limited time, and they'll probably... If there's a team that has a lot of bullpen depth but not really much offense, they'd probably swing a trade for like a early inning reliever for Swihart. And if the Sox are still struggling to find ways to get Swihart at bats, you know, come May or June, I say swing the trade. Yeah, I think like you wouldn't be able to get Blake Swihart uh, solely, get a good reliever solely for Blake Swihart. I think he would have to be part of a, a package uh, with a prospect or something like that. But I, yeah, I definitely think he could be trade bait, especially if you can't get him at bats. Um, especially if you're not going to use him in in the roles he should be used in, like the in these pinch hit opportunities. But yeah, I I, I think I think the that. Um, I think Swihart is a good player, as I said, like seven times, and I think he's a good hitter, and I think Cora and will hopefully give him some more at-bats going forward. Now, to end this podcast, I have one last question for you, Dave. Are, are you ready for it? Bring it on. Bring it on. Okay, so how are you feeling about... It's, it's been 15 games. It's, a, it's like a decent way through the season. I mean, not really. I mean, it's 162, but we're, we're, we've made a dent into it. So... What are your thoughts on Alex Cora as the Boston Red Sox manager? I really, really like Cora. Uh, when Farrell got fired, I wasn't the biggest Farrell guy in the world. Not I wasn't either. one of the people. I wasn't one of the people that like said he's the worst manager ever. Like I'd take ten years of uh, Farrell over one year of Valentine any day of the week. But <laughs> um, but he he needed to he needed to go. I felt in the second that like all the candidates were coming out. Alex Carr was the one I wanted. I felt he was a perfect fit for this team. Uh, he's played in Boston. He knows what it's like. It's not an easy place to play. And I feel like Farrell didn't really have a connection with the younger kids. Cora absolutely does. You expect a few nicks and bruises in the roads from a first time manager, and that's what you got with uh, the opening day, first the eighth game. inning thing, a few of the pinch hitting things, but. That's part of what you sign up for a guy who's doing it for the first time. Everything that you could hope for out of a first-year manager, Cora's done in my eyes. Oh, I completely agree. I, I was stoked when they signed Alex Cora. Uh, he had a great, ample experience. His resume was tantalizing. And I, he definitely, I think, brings, like, he challenges conventional wisdom. He's analytical. He wants to maximize, like, uh, and optimize what you have on the field and I think that's what you get out of Cora and I do think yeah Farrell had some like I, like I mean I can't know for sure but like anecdotally speaking I feel like Farrell did not have a great connection with his players but I think uh, Cora yeah yeah Cora's definitely uh, there seems to be some boost in chemistry uh, with him and the players I don't know if that's just because they're winning because winning usually kind of you know creates chemistry at some to some degree but I think uh, I think this is this is the guy for the 
Red Sox for the foreseeable future. And it's not just because of the thirteen mm-hmm. and two start. It's because he's he he just he's putting his team in good positions outside of some questionable pinch hitting decisions. I think he's been managing this team very well. Yeah, and with the whole chemistry thing, obviously winning does help. But last year's team won ninety three games, and you really didn't get that. You, you really didn't get that vibe from them that you're getting from this year's team. Something just feels a little bit different. And from a from a technical standpoint, like a like uh, attacking the plate standpoint, I love what Cora's done. Uh, Evan Drellick tweeted out a tweet earlier today about um, for aggressiveness on the first pitch, and the least aggressive teams, top nine, John Farrell's Red Sox were four of them. And this year with Cora, where I want to say we were 132nd out of the 180 teams that have played since 2013. And I love the aggressiveness. Me too. Working its count has its points, but at the same point, how many times did the Red Sox over the Farrell era just watch two perfect meatballs go right down the middle on the first two or three pitches? Yeah. It's just, Farrell worked it to death, and with teams willing to turn to the bullpen, earlier than ever and bullpens in general being better than ever working the count doesn't have the place that it used to in baseball no i i totally i totally get you there um i think you know you want to as a major league hitter you want to swing at strikes and you don't want to swing at balls and if there's good pitches they're more likely to be hit so why not swing at those i mean it just comes down to common sense i mean yeah definitely working the count has its i mean i guess it tires the pitcher out there are definitely benefits to that but i think a lot of the red Sox hitters are very talented and they are definitely uh, utilizing this new approach to their advantage did you uh happen to hear mookie betts's espn interview with john farrell did you see that um I saw that it happened. I didn't actually watch it. I, I watched like a minute of it. It was so cringy. It was John Farrell. Was yeah, like, like I just. Did you see like I, a clip? I saw that it was happening, and it's like I just can't do that to myself. Like I'm gonna cringe out of my skin just because yeah. <laughs> you know that's the most awkward situation I've ever seen. Like it was. <laughs> it was like an ex. Hey, Mookie, you're doing great this year. Yeah. Why didn't you do that last year? I could have a job still. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. He was like, so you and Bogey got like grand slams. Like, why didn't you do that last year? He, that's literally like how the conversation started. And Mookie Betts just got really yeah, awkward. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah, like if I'm Mookie, do I just like awkwardly laugh or do I say like, well, you see, John, I swung at the first pitch. That's why. Yeah, so that happened. That was interesting. Um, I hope Farrell's doing well. I think he's got, like, inevitably going to be the Cincinnati Reds manager, or at least he's being, like, groomed to be when they're actually competitive. But, yeah, that was an awkward interview. Um, So that's going to do it for the first or fourth, depending on how you look at the world, Red Sox Unfiltered podcast. Dave, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, It's been a great time. I've had fun. I hope you have had, too. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll try to do this next week for the people. Does that sound good? Yes. And I think like each week we're just going to get more and more entertaining. It's going to be a good time. Um, uh, tune in. Usually I think we're going to try to do these uh, weekly or twice a week. I don't know yet. It'll be fun. We'll experiment with it. But go Red Sox, guys. 13-2. and two, Cannot complain. Um, and let's let's get to 160-2. and two. Thank you for guys for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day.